Okay, well, you may have heard it said, when the going gets tough, the tough get going. Last week in Psalm 126, we had a psalm about longing. This week, in Psalm 127, we have a psalm about our work for the Lord. Some of us deal with um, our longings, and sometimes we get frustrated. Some of us get disappointed. Some of us even despair when we long for something. But others of us, when we're longing for something, we are workers. Is that you? When the going gets tough, the tough gets going, and you go to it. Um, maybe you're the kind of person who goes to 100%, like, like Forrest Gump in that film, you know, everything he sets his mind to is just, whoomph, and he goes for it. Um, maybe you're sort of Richard Branson, kind of, whoa, yeah, I'll, I'll do it, I'll do it. And Michael Jordan, who famously shot basketball hoops again and again and again, a real worker, or a, a Maggie Thatcher type who, who basically never slept, as far as I can tell, anyway. What a work. Uh, some worker of some sort, right? Uh, <laughs> maybe your operating state is, leave it with me. Leave it with me, I can cope. It's true, isn't it? It's all too easy to be busy working, building, constructing, doing stuff. All too easy to be busy working than it is to be busy trusting God. I wonder if that's you. Well, here we are again in these Psalms of Ascent. We remembered last week that these Psalms, from Psalm about 120 to Psalm 135 in our Bible, are a collection. They're put together as a little songbook. And they were used by the Old Testament people of God. They were used as the songbook on the journey to festival in Jerusalem. Come on, let's go and worship God. And here was the playlist. And the scene as they approached Jerusalem, we remember, was um, disappointing. They get to Jerusalem and they go, is this what we came all this way for? This shambles of a temple, this wasteland of a city, this disgrace of a people. Maybe they were tempted to think, you just can't get a staff these days. I mean, really, is this what we've come for? Maybe they were thinking, if you want something doing, you better do it yourself, haven't you? You know, if there's going to be something here, we're going to see God's glory here. But well, we'd better get working. Maybe, think, maybe they think the disappointment of the temple was all down to the failure of the people to work hard enough. But then comes Psalm 127. And look at the, look at the little title. It's there in, in, uh, in italics there for us. A Song of Ascent of Solomon. They come to this song and then maybe they think, oh, well, Solomon's going to set us, right? You know, he achieved great and wondrous things. He's going to tell us to get working, isn't he? But no, the song doesn't do what you might expect it. You know, our culture expects people to work really, really hard, doesn't it? We deify human efforts. We think as human beings we can do anything. We can build anything. If there's a problem, well, we've probably got the technology for it somewhere. Come on, we can find it, can't we? But Solomon doesn't do that. He gives us another approach. As soon as we're tempted to say, look, if the kingdom of God's going to amount to anything, if the church is going to amount to anything, then we've got to do it. As soon as we're tempted to think like that, Solomon here gives us wisdom. And it comes in Solomonic fashion. Here we have, in these verses, a proverb, I think, in verses 1 and 2, and an illustration in verses 3 to 5. And this is wisdom, then, that is going to shape our work, 
our work for the Lord. A proverb and an illustration. So we'll look at those in turn. Firstly, the proverb. The proverb in verses 1 and 2, a proverb that tells us that, that God is decisive. That God's work is decisive. If, if God's people are going to be restored, if his kingdom is going to come, well, God is going to be decisive in that. Look at how the proverb says it in verse 1. Unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labour in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. The builders build for nothing unless God works. Unless God works, it will be in vain. You might remember that idea of vanity. One Solomon likes to use a lot. He uses it a lot in the book of Ecclesiastes, doesn't he? Solomon says you can intend a building project, but if God doesn't intend the same outcome of that building project, wouldn't it be in vain? It'd be futile. It's baffling that you'd even bother. You might complete your building project, but what will it be worth? Nothing. This psalm teaches us, friends, that in every activity, in every area of life, human beings are at work. We are at work freely, making decisions, but God is also at work. Before I carry on explaining stuff, would, could we open a few windows? I'm really hot at the front. I think others might be as well. That'd be okay. Thank you, guys. Sorry about that. <laughs> might, they might be twizzled shut. I've already lost my shirt. I don't want me to lose anything else. Thank you. Graham, can you reach one of those top ones, do you think? They might be twizzled shut. There's a, there's a yellow locky thing there. Yeah, that will twizzle that free if you can. I don't know whether you can. Don't worry if you can't. Yeah, don't worry if you can't. Put you on the spot. A bit out of reach. <laughs> don't worry, Ben. Thanks anyway. Here God in this psalm teaches, uh, Solomon teaches in this psalm, that humans work. Human work matters. But God's work also matters. Uh, there's an idea that theologians talk about uh, the doctrine of concurrence. That's a silly word. <laughs> Why do they always use such long words? Um, the, the doctrine of concurrence. It's this idea that, I don't know whether you've ever seen two rivers flowing side by side. You sometimes get that. Where you get a natural river, and you get like a canal part of it, and the canal network joins up with the, the river. And basically the Bible seems to teach consistently that what happens in history happens because God's river and humans, river, concur, they meet. There's a kind of point of confluence. They meet. Everything that happens in history happens because humans intend something, and God concurs with it. There are two people operating separately, but, but both wills happen, as it were. The trouble we have is that we always tend to think that there's only one actor in history, don't we? We always tend to think that everything's down to us. But this psalm here is here to correct us, isn't it? That not everything hangs on me and my choices and my work. Not everything hangs on me. I mean, think about, think about this idea in the Bible, okay? Think about how you'd read the Bible if you thought everything was down to you. Think of, um, think of Joseph and the coat of many colours. If you thought everything was about humans, you'd say this, oh gosh, wasn't it lucky? that Joseph was given the coat of many colours. Wasn't that lucky? And wasn't it lucky that his brothers, rather than leaving him in the pit, sold him into slavery? Because, gosh, wasn't that amazing that by some coincidence, 
Joseph ended up in jail with the butcher and the baker and the candlestick maker. And that he interpreted their dream and word of those dreams got to Pharaoh and, and, he, and he became prime minister and he saved the world from famine and he saved his brothers. What a remarkable good fortune. His family settled in the land of Goshen in Egypt and they became a great nation there. And what, what chance that they should later become slaves. And wasn't it lucky to that group of slaves that a baby was born? <laughs> and that that baby should be put in a basket and float down the river. And, well, wasn't it lucky? He floated right into the lap of the Pharaoh's daughter and was taken into the palace. And wasn't it lucky that that baby, now a man, Moses, should stand up for his people and should, there should be an accident and he should have to flee and he ends up in the wilderness? And how remarkable. What luck. He should meet a bush that was burning on fire but never burnt up. And God should speak to him from there and say, oh, I'm going to send you as a rescuer. And that there would be an exodus. How lucky that there would be an exodus. How lucky that from that exodus there would come the law at Mount Sinai. And from that law, the prophets. And from the prophets, the kings. And from the kings, an exile. And from that exile, a return to the land. And in that land of return, a baby of Nazareth born in Bethlehem. And how lucky that that person should live and die and rise. Oh, how lucky it was. But Joseph had the coat of many colours. No. You've got to be joking, haven't you? In everything, in every free decision of human beings, God is at work as well. And he is decisive, isn't he? Unless the Lord builds, the labours labour in vain. Everything in the course of history, he is the decisive factor. Humans are involved in... Most things, aren't they? Apart from our own salvation, that's the only event in which, which God acts alone. So unless the Lord builds, our building will be in vain. Think, um, think for a minute of the first building that God ever did in the Bible. What was the first thing God built? He built a temple garden to dwell in with his people. And Adam rebelled. And what did he find? He found futile living, didn't he? I think he found verse 2 out. What did Adam find? It is in vain that you rise up early and go to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil. But God gives to his beloved sleep. You know, Adam's existence was restless labour, wasn't it? Without God, having turned his back on God. Adam was the first to eat the bread of anxious toil, and we've been eating it ever since, haven't we? Thinking it's all down to us. I love the way Derek Kidner says of this verse. Of all work, either our work will be the Lord's doing, or it'll be pointless, restless work. There's no third option. Remarkable, isn't it, how much anxiety we have? Anxiety flows when we seek to be masters of our own destiny, doesn't it? When we seek to be kings and gods, as it were. Some of us are anxious today, I think, because we're just trying to do everything by ourselves. And that's verse 2, isn't it? But Solomon learns here that he couldn't rebuild the temple, <laughs> neither guard it and keep it either, without the Lord. The Lord is decisive. Unless the Lord builds the house, it won't happen. Now, what is this psalm specifically referring to? Is this a psalm about everything in life, all we do? Is it a psalm about something in particular? I think the psalm is about something in particular. A house here, if, unless the Lord builds a house, a house could be a building, it could be a family, or it could be a particular building in a particular family, which I think it is. I think this psalm refers to the temple, and I think it refers to the line of David, 
I think it refers to all those promises of God. In other words, unless the Lord builds his kingdom, unless the Lord builds his church, the labour will be for nothing. This psalm reminds us that it is the Lord who is decisive in the work of restoring his people. It will happen when he says it will happen. Hear this, you cannot force his hand. We cannot force his hands. But hear this too, that doesn't mean our work is wasted or, or, or pointless. God doesn't mean for our work to be worthless. He means for us to work for him. And he'll use it, he'll build his church. But it'll happen according to him. And when the Lord restores his people, nothing will stop it, nothing at all. The Lord is the decisive factor in the restoration of his people. Now, how will we respond as a church? Do we as a church think, it's all down to me, I've got to, I've got to do this, I've got to do that, or, or, or there won't be any blessing? Well, how do we respond? Here's what one ancient Christian said. We must be careful not to give way to that blasphemous anxiety that intends to do God's work for him. Now, is that you? Some of us really do think, underneath it all, that everything depends on us. We say we trust God, but when you look through the cracks, we find exactly what this psalm speaks of. Restless, anxious, toil. Woe to you, says verse 2, end up early, bright and late. Now, there's nothing wrong with our work, but it must rest in him, mustn't it? Think of how you use that word, unless, in this Bible passage. Do you say, unless the Lord, or do you say, unless I? Do you say, unless I make the church more welcoming, then it's not going to grow. Do you say, unless we have that event and that particular teaching series and that particular feel to the, to the building, God's not going to do his work. Do you think, unless I help the church launch that new youth project, we're never going to grow? Do you think, unless we have this big mission, it will come to nothing? Well, friends, you see, that's the wrong mindset, isn't it? Let's have an adjustment this morning. Busy builders need to hear this, don't we? The Lord's work is decisive in the restoration of his church. Now, some of us here will be wired differently. Some of us here, I know, when the tough get going, you, you, you shrink back. <laughs> some of us will be wired differently and some of us will be like that. Maybe you have a tendency, when things are hard, to drift away, maybe, to step back, if you're honest. Um, you don't like to take on responsibility, maybe that's how you're wired. Well, for you, this proverb will hit, not with unless God, it'll hit at that line where it says, those who build. Because the truth might be for you that you're more on the sidelines. I'm a Christian, yeah, I've got a personal walk for the, with the Lord, but Christian service, oh, oh, no, sticking my hand up to get involved, oh, no. Church membership, ah, terrifying. Going on the road, ah, they're getting claws into me. Keep it at arm's length. So if that's you, what do you need to hear this morning? I think you need to hear <laughs> that we mustn't get confused about work. Most of our experience of work in this world is verse 2, isn't it? It is anxious, restless toil. But that isn't what God's work is like, is it? For what does he promise? Work for the Lord will not be in vain when he's in it. It won't be in vain. 
It won't be pointless. Most of our anxiety, most of our worry about things is that it won't work out well. Well, God promises if he's involved, it will. So don't confuse what work is. Will you trust that God will be at work? Even if you put your hand up and you're terrified. Will you get involved? Will you take risks? Will you let your anxiety rest? Because the decisive factor isn't you. The decisive factor is the Lord. Now, how tempting might it have been for Jesus to have given way to this kind of anxiety? Right? Being the saviour of the world and all. I've got to do it. It all rests in me. But Jesus did actually rest, didn't he? He did sleep. Even in a storm, Jesus could sleep. Such was his trust in God. And was it all for nothing, the cross? Vanity? No, he he rested in the decisive work of God to raise him from the dead on the third day. And he ascended, and the Bible says this, Hebrews 1 verse 3, after making purifications for sin, Jesus sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. I think that's verse 2 of our psalm fulfilled. Look at verse 2. God gives to his beloved sleep. And that idea of sleep is so much richer than just sleep. It's that idea of Sabbath rest. You know, God was enthroned on the Sabbath, wasn't he? He sat down from his work of creation on the throne. And that is where Jesus is now. He gives to his beloved rest. Jesus trusted the decisive work of God. You know, knowing the glorious sovereign God is in charge of all things, it is the softest pillow in all of the universe. That is, will we rest in that this morning? Will you? Do you worry about the state of the church? Do you worry about the state of grace, church? Well, by all means, get get working. But don't worry. Know that the Lord is the decisive factor. It's his intervention alone that will restore the church and restore his people. And he's promised to do it. The Lord has promised to build his church. So we step out in faith and in confidence and in hope. What an encouragement, actually, these verses are. Unless the Lord, unless the Lord's at work, well, guess what? The Lord is at work. He has promised to be at work. What rocket fuel this proverb is, eh? Don't, don't be an anxious work. Be in a work that is rested in God. So there's the proverb. But here's the illustration in verses 3 to 5. It says, if you want to understand that God's the decisive factor, well, think about how God is the decisive factor in childbirth. Right? It's God who is decisive in giving life. So look at verse 3. Verse 3 says, Behold, that points out an illustration. Look, behold. Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord, the fruit of the womb a reward. So behold, says this psalm, look at, look at childbirth. If you ever wanted to understand that the Lord is most significant, look at that issue. If you survey the Bible, you'll discover that childbirth isn't the easy walk in the park that sometimes people think today. The Bible sees it as an impossibility, childbirth. Think of Abraham and Sarah in the Old Testament. Too old, barren. But then God works. He's decisive. And Sarah has Isaac. Think of Jacob, desperate to have children with his beloved Rachel, but Leah has lots of children and Rachel can't until the Lord's at work and he has his beloved Joseph and Benjamin. Think of Egypt where you had a nation desperate to have children and it was only until the Lord was at work to birth Moses through the, through the waters. 
they had a baby. Think of the last judge of Israel, Samuel, born to Hannah, who cried and prayed for night after night after night. See, it was the Lord's work bringing life. And the Old the Testament repeats, the, the story repeats in the New Testament. Think of um, Zechariah and Elizabeth, too old, and then they're given John the Baptist. And think most remarkably of all, a baby given to a virgin. It is the Lord who gives life. It is the Lord who brings life and it is the Lord who will build his church. He is decisive. Now we must pause for thought here. For some of us, these verses just wash over us, the the childbirth thing. Um, That wouldn't have been the case in the ancient world. People lost babies a lot. Um, A lot of infant mortality. And it's not the case for many today. Today, I believe the statistics say that one in six couples face some sort of infertility challenge some time in their life and I I believe I'm right in saying that around a third of all pregnancies end in miscarriage so for some here this morning hearing these verses about the blessing of children and childbearing and so on it's really hard to hear really hard to swallow if that's you today I'd like you to hear that the Lord doesn't minimise your suffering and so we as a church don't want to minimise that suffering either if that's you today I want you to hear don't blame yourself don't blame each other. Remember what we heard in the Bible bite just a few minutes ago. You're not, you're not being punished. I'd like you to hear as well, you know, that there are lots of options, aren't there, in our day today. Um, lots of fertility treatments and fertility clinics and so on. And there may be ways forward there, but you'll need to stop and take a breath and get wise counsel. There may be ways forward. They might be filled with heartache though as well. Know too that if you're here today struggling with infertility, that it is okay to stop trying. Oh, how hard that is. Oh, what grief that is. But God is with you. Back in the psalm, they look. Apart from the conception of the Lord Jesus, human beings do their part, but the miracle of life is a work of God. God is decisive. And the point is, so it is with the church. God will build his church. And God will give it security too. Just like this used to happen with kids um, in the Old Testament times. So look with me at verse 4 and 5. Um, the psalmist says, uh, Like arrows in the hand of a warrior are the children of one's youth. Blessed is the man who fills his quiver with them. He shall not be put to shame when he speaks with his enemies in the gate. Um, this psalm says, look, if you have lots of children, you'll have lots of people to stand up for you if they, if they love you, if they believe in your values, if they hold fast to them, they'll, they'll protect you. If you get taken to the city gate and they're going to throw you out at that law court of the city gate, you'll have people, sons, daughters, who will come and stand up for you. They'll come and fight for you. They're like arrows. They're like, predict, they're like protection. Some people get very caught up here at this point about a quiver full of um, children and say, well, Christians must have quivers full of children. And how many is that? And some people say, well, you must four to seven children. Um, depending on the context of what arrows were used for and hunting and so on, um, a quiverful might refer to four to seven. It might refer to 15 arrows. might refer to 30 arrows or even as many as 50 arrows. So if you take this super, super literalistically, um, you're going to have to break uh, what the Bible teaches about being husband of one wife <laughs> or married to one husband in order to to fulfill this uh, obligation. So I think it's an image, isn't it? It's lots of children um, in those times would, would provide some, some protection and, and some, some defence. Um, 
And, and, and Christians have latched onto this verse as well, I think it's worth saying. And we often pray at weddings. Um, I'll pray that the couple would be blessed with children, and, and children are a blessing, how wonderful. But I think we might also remember to pray, given that it's the Lord's word that's decisive, we might also pray that couples might trust the Lord when children don't come. When was the last time you heard that prayed for at a wedding? I think we need to pray that more, don't we? The Lord is decisive in bringing life. So do you see the point of this illustration? In the whole of creation, we live under the workings of the Creator. We live in the order of creation where we just know, self-evidently, some things, <laughs> some things are a work of God. In fact, everything's a work of God. God is at work in all things. Some things are not solely the result of skill and commitment and application, but a blessing divinely bestowed. So it is with the church. Let me say it again. You know, I wonder if you have categories for stuff. Maybe you have categories like, here's stuff that only God can do. And here's stuff that I do. Do you do that? Uh, only God can help people believe and open eyes to what Jesus has done. But, but only I can make church bearable enough that people would actually come. Maybe you have some things that you rely on God for. <coughs> hardship, crisis, health. And other things you think depend entirely on you. How much time you should invest with a particular friend. How you'll behave in a certain setting. Well, this proverb and illustration reminds us that we're the builders who build. Our Lord's decisive in, in, in all things, and in particular, in the work of his church, in the restoration of his kingdom. God's work is decisive. So it is for the future of God's people. So drop the categories and the self-reliance and rest in God. Jesus relied on God the Father, didn't he? To raise him from the grave. God, Jesus relied on God that that temple that they had in Jerusalem was not to be the final temple. But that God was doing a greater work. That one day Jesus would be given an inheritance in a nation of many children and brothers and sisters. Jesus trusted the Lord's work as decisive in giving life and giving him children. Will we trust him likewise? Who are you relying on, friends? So here's a psalm then for the anxious. Here is a psalm for those who would say, we must do it. It's all down to us. The going gets tough, the tough get going. This is a psalm for us who think it's all a disaster unless we work our socks off. And sure, Christians, we must work. We must serve the Lord. We'll want to, won't we? But we've got to see this morning, that's not the only thing. It's certainly not the main thing. The building of God's church and his kingdom is always going to be beyond us, isn't it? Always. Just like the miracle of childbirth. We can't make it happen. But God can. And God does. And he will. And he promises to. So here the problem. The builders labour in vain. Unless the Lord is at work. Unless the Lord. And the Lord is at work. Will he build his house? He will. Most certainly. And on that basis we step out in trust. In risk. In faith. And set our worries aside. Shall we pray?
Father, thank you for this psalm, Psalm 127, a psalm to shape our work for you. Father, we confess that so often we have been anxious workers. So often we've taken things and said it's all down to us. Father, give us that conviction that you are decisive. That your kingdom will be restored exactly when you say it will. And help us too to be those people who serve to that end. Who work in your kingdom cause. I ask your blessing on us as a church to, to step out, to take risks, to serve, to be committed, even though we feel it might hurt. All knowing that work for you is never, ever for nothing. Because you will build your church and the, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. So we pray this in the strong and mighty name of Jesus. Amen.